0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works, recording on the day that a certain country took home a certain world championship for the fourth time joining me is an eagerly happy american my brother in arms for this project chuck smith chuck how many celebratory beers have you pounded today so far
1: so far jake i'm only at five but the, the day is still young there's plenty of time to work on that number
0: yeah absolutely i'm on i'm on 15 right now which is the number of our lovely president of the United States, Mrs. Megan Rapino. Let's just dive right into this game, shall we? Like, 2-0 final for the United States of America, beating a very good Dutch team that really stuck it to the U.S. Their goalkeeping was phenomenal throughout this entire game, including in the first half, where she was able to keep the U.S. at 0-0, and then a penalty through VAR, which I believe was an absolutely correct decision. I heard a whole bunch of people on Twitter going, oh, VAR again, but you know what? The call was right. (laughs) That was the correct call. Like, I don't care if you were angry at VAR this entire time. If your boot is hitting Alex Morgan in the shoulder, that's a penalty. That's not even close. And if you can't pick that up as a referee, then give it to VAR. That's what VAR is there for. I don't think there's any league in the world that would look at that and say that that's perfectly fine. And then Rose Lavelle, just an absolute stud, just crossing over every human being like as if she was Kawhi Leonard and then just draining a goal to put the U.S. ahead to nothing. And it was the final goal for the tournament. Chuck, go ahead and give me your thoughts on this game. I think
1: first and foremost, you go straight to the penalty call. And you're right, Jake. There's no doubt that it it was a penalty. But I don't think there was anyone more relieved than me when the U.S. got the second goal because it, it felt dirty. Even though it was an earned penalty, and it was legitimate. It was the right call. I didn't want to see the tournament end that way. I didn't want to see uh, one high boot be the reason that the United States won the tourney. So. When I saw Lavelle break through and do about a million moves and drill that shot, I I was extremely happy. I'm sure she was happier than I was, but it did make me feel a little bit better. Like I said, I I think that it was definitely a penalty, but it did not feel right to me to have a game of such magnitude come down to a play like that. So I was glad to see the score go up to 2-0, and I think that it was a well-deserved, well-earned win for the United States team. I thought the biggest thing throughout the tournament, especially today, was the play of their midfield. I know that Rapino, and Tobin Heath and Alex Morgan, they get a lot of the credit, but the midfield trio of Rose Lavelle, Julie Ertz, and and Mewis, they, they were excellent, and I thought they were the entire time. And it's crazy to me to think that they have such depth that Lindsey Horan can't even get on the field, so... Uh, just kudos to the U.S. team. A dominant performance all the way through. Uh, couldn't be more impressed with them. But, Jake, it's like one of the things we had talked about off air. I don't even think this you know, this was the pinnacle of how they can perform. I think there's still more there. So just goes to show you how talented the squad is.
0: Absolutely. And I was even going to bring up that point with Lindsey Horan. I remember just looking throughout this entire game. Seeing Lavelle absolutely working everybody into a tizzy, Julie Ertz with her dominant performance, helping out the back four and being that great, almost Tiago-like pivot between the attack and the defense, and then the physicality of Sam Mewis. I take a look at that team. I don't know where uh, Lindsey Horan would fit in. Like I take a look at that, and I would say you would need to have a, like a 12th position on the field for Lindsey Horan to really fit in. She's a phenomenal player, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that there was a way for her to fit onto this team. That midfield was already stacked to begin with, and that team performing the way that they did, Horan almost just seemed like a depth player at this point like somebody that you would bring on if they if somebody got injured and looking at this team just as an idea assuming that nobody is going to be playing at 40 right this was prob. this was I think definitely Carly Lloyd's last World Cup probably Becky Sauerbrunn's and Abby Dahlkempers Kempers as well. Megan Rapinoe's last World Cup, maybe Tobin Heath, Kristen Press. I think Alex Morgan could probably come back in another 4 years for her final World Cup. But even still, looking at this team, it is stacked with depth. I think even in what? 2023, when that world cup rolls around that i still think the u.s will have enough depth and enough talent to be able to compete with some of these absolutely phenomenal teams that we've got up and coming for the future
1: yeah there's there's no doubt the u.s will will still over the next four years be the juggernaut but the gap is closing with some of the european countries the netherlands spain germany france italy these teams are all rapidly improving. And I think that the U.S. will still have a stronghold. They're still going to have the most talent. They have the the biggest talent base by far. Uh, but I think that, you know, as time goes on, until some of the younger players for the U.S. can step up and start to achieve sort of that superstar status, I think that the, the teams in Europe are definitely going to make a move. But, the good thing for the U.S. is when you look at that midfield, um, they're just so talented and they have youth on their side. So even if Julie Ertz somehow ages poorly over the next four years, which, which won't happen, uh, you still can fill in the slot with Lindsey Horan. So that just shows you when you have a player on your bench that would probably be the best player on every other team in the tournament uh, it just shows you the depth of talent in the United States, and just you know how far this team can go over the next four years, and with the, what with what they have to work with. I think that there's no doubt that this is a team that that can absolutely continue to evolve. Work some new players in, but still maintain some of those foundational pieces to lead.
0: So Megan Rapinoe uh, finished this World Cup not only as the captain of the winning side, she also wins the golden boot as the highest goal scorer and the golden ball as the best player of the tournament proving all of her doubters especially a certain orange-skinned small-handed man living in a large white house in Washington DC proving every hater wrong out there she was an utterly dominant player and I hate to sound like bit of a, a hipster to this, but I've been a big follower and a big fan of uh, Megan Rapinoe ever since she lobbed in a wonderful cross into Abby Wambach to help the U.S. advance in 2011. Rapinoe has long been one of my favorite players on, not only just in this American side, but in soccer in general, period. I love her enthusiasm for the game and her her forward thinking ideals for a lack of a better term. She walks out of here as the most talked about player in this World Cup. The most, the, obviously the player with the most attention and the best player, I think, out of everybody. With her career dwindling, she's now the oldest player to have ever scored at a World Cup final at the age of 34. She goes back to the NWSL's Seattle Reign. Um, do you think that this tournament has the potential to grow the NWSL in the United States?
1: I, I do. And I think this is one of the things that, you know, we can look back four years ago and you can see where the, the women's game was then. And, and maybe it didn't grow or get as much exposure uh, as we would like over the past four years. But this could be yet another catalyst to, to help that league grow. And I think one of the, the big thing is that the recent deal that they signed with ESPN just to the access and the availability and even a little bit of promotion uh, from ESPN would really help, uh, you know, let people know where they can find those games. It, you know, it's not just the World Cup or international games where you're going to see such good talent. I mean, it's available there in the NWSL on a weekly basis. And, a, you know, a player like Rapino, who has spent the better part of her career fighting and pushing for equal rights, uh, and just in terms of soccer, just equal pay, equal exposure, equal opportunity, uh, you know, it's little things like this that can really help push that league along. And I hope that people do start to recognize that people go out, spend their money, go to the games, that they tune in to ESPN and drive up the ratings. I mean, the women actually, you know, they deserve a lot of credit. The style of game that they play, it's very attractive. And I think that, you know, the more that you watch them, the more passion that you'll see, uh, the more intensity. And just, you know, it's a good product. And if people give it a chance, I really believe that, you know, that league can grow and draw in some of the world's best players, not just, you know, the U.S. core team players and a few outsiders from other countries, I think you could get some of the European stars to come over on a permanent basis.
0: So looking overall at how the tournament as a whole panned out, I know when we previously made our predictions, I I chastised you for picking chalk for absolutely everything, but Really looking at this tournament, there were not many upsets and there were not many surprises. And that's not to say that this tournament wasn't exciting, but I would say the only real upset of this tournament was Sweden knocking out Germany. And even still, you could look at that and chalk it up to Jennifer Morozan getting injured. But regardless, I, I didn't think that this tournament had a lack of exciting talent and the crowds there were pretty enthralled in the game and very focused on what was happening and we saw really big numbers at least for the women's game coming out i believe over 57,000 people attended this world cup final so I think overall, we could ask ourselves this last question before moving on. Do we think that the women's game is in good hands to grow? And I personally think absolutely, because I think this has probably been the best year for women's soccer internationally. You had... Over 80,000 people streaming into the Wanda Metropolitano to watch Atletico Madrid's women's side turn out for a game, which broke the Spanish record for women's soccer. You saw... Over fifty thousand watch Juventus's women's team, which broke the Italian record. You have Olympique Lyonnais dominating the Women's Champions League, and of course, this year it wasn't really a year for parity. But if anything, looking back on this, like I mentioned before, you could see that there are some countries with some absolutely dominant teams. And even teams that didn't dominate, that are poised to do very, very well for the future, like the Dutch team, like the Spanish, they're gonna be really big in a couple of years from now. So I think that this is the best time for women's soccer. And as a male, I couldn't be happier that that is the case. I've always thought that it's ridiculous that the women's game for all sports has pretty much only been reduced to basketball, even though I'm a massive UConn basketball fan. I think it's ridiculous that women are pretty much only cornered into only basketball and softball, and that beyond that, nobody's really going to pay any attention unless, of course, it's once every four years that a World Cup lands on. So, Go out there and support your local women's team because Lord knows they absolutely need the support. And of course, they're also world-class talent that you get to see every day. So why wouldn't you want to go see that? So I guess wrapping up my thoughts, I think it's an absolutely great time for uh, women's soccer. And now all they have to do is just go and get paid, which I don't think would be much of a challenge after the... Uh, performance that they put on in France this summer
1: yeah when you look at the tournament I think there's a a lot of valid reasons for countries now to to invest in the women's game Uh, some of the countries have already started to go down that road but it has not been as heavy as the investments they make in the men's programs I think when you look at the results of the tournament aside of of a less than a handful of games there weren't really a lot of blowouts the games were competitive and even in games that might have gotten up to 3-0 or 2-0, these were, it wasn't like I felt like watching these games, that there, were, there was just one side that was utterly dominant and, and maybe not getting breaks. These were good games. Uh, the quality was great. I mean, a lot of times people like to knock the women's game and they'll say, well, it's not as fast. The players aren't as technically precise. Uh, they're not as powerful. It's all, it's all nonsense. If you watch the game, there's so much quality to it. And in a lot of ways, it's a lot less sloppy than the men's game at times. So I, for me, I know that, you know, like when we talk about the differences between a men's uh, a game and a, man, a men's sport versus a women's sport, a lot of people point to the WNBA and say, well, you know, nobody's dunking all the time and the game is slower and all they do is shoot jumpers, mid-range jumpers. It, it's nonsense. You can look at the quality of any game, the quality of particular athletes, see how they play, see the intensity that they play with, the passion that they have. And, and it's a good product, no matter what sport you're looking at. But soccer especially, I think it's a great product. I think company, uh, I'm sorry, countries should really, really start to invest more in these women, uh, pay them more, give them better facilities. Uh, in some places, they frankly deserve it more than the men especially in the United States here. So I think that, you know, Jake, like you said, everyone should be out there supporting these women, no matter where they're at, their local clubs, professional clubs whatever. They deserve it.
0: Absolutely. And especially with the men. Now their toughest test will be, uh, in the gold cup, which is obviously a more important thing than the women's world cup. Definitely by far. Uh, just, I guess, one final point only because I just saw it before we're moving on. Uh, this is the Bayern Munich connection. Bayern Munich's, uh, recent new transfer 20-year-old Julia Gwyn, won the best young players award at this Women's World Cup, which is absolutely amazing for her. She was dominant with this, with this team, um, for the Germans, even though they weren't able to move on. She was key in almost every single game, uh, she was able to score a myriad of goals for the team, including, I believe, their very first one in all of their competitions. So it's great for her, and it's great for uh, the FC Bayern Fran, who hope to be able to reload and move further into the uh, Women's Champions League than they did this year. So I think it's great for her. I think it's great for Bayern. Um and yeah, hopefully she can help uh, help this team move forward. So uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to a couple of Bayern Munich transfer rumors right after this break. We'll be right back after this message. and we're back. Now we're going to shift with the Women's World Cup done. We are going to focus more on Bayern Munich as a whole. So unfortunately, I guess that means that there won't be as many podcasts as you've heard before now with the World Cup dying down. But we will still try to post the latest transfer rumors. As the major transfers come through, we will release emergency podcasts like we did for Mats Hummels. So there's not really much that we can talk about, unfortunately, and that's something that we will go on a tangent about later on, how Bayern has not done anything at all in this summer transfer window, especially with this player who we all thought we kind of have a better chance to get, at least in the last couple of weeks. With Frank Lampard coming into Chelsea, he's reportedly been able to convince longtime time Bayern target Callum hudson Adoy to stay, and that he would be given more opportunities at Stamford Bridge. Personally, just me looking at this, I don't know how he's going to be able to fit Callum hudson adoy into this lineup with the massive Chelsea Lone Army out there and with them pretty well set along the wings and their recent acquisition of Christian Pulisic. Chuck, what do you think about this with uh, Lampard coming in and promising more... Time to Adoy, and how do you think this impacts Bayern's transfer window?
1: I think that I, I'm not surprised at all by the news uh, with Callum Hudson-Adoy likely staying with Chelsea. I think that it's a no-brainer for him, and it really I think brings to light one of the things that I've been afraid of in this transfer window for Bayern, and it's that I feel like they're just being used in many cases as the leverage club. They are the big club with deep pockets that other players are using as a threat to their current clubs in hopes of gaining a better income. And I think that for Callum Hudson-Odoi, it worked twofold. Sure, he is probably going to get more money out of Chelsea at some point soon. I'm sure he will extend his deal. He'll be given a pay raise or something. But more importantly, he's going to get an opportunity now. Because just the threat of Bayern Munich lurking around one of England's top talents was enough for Chelsea and Frank Lampard to, to kind of make a commitment to him. And I think all along that's what Hudson Odoi really wanted, is he wanted some kind of commitment from Chelsea. And I think this is one of the situations, and it could mirror Leroy Sané, where Bayern is just another club that's out there who's being used as leverage in these contract negotiations, whether it's for more money or opportunity, depending on the player, it really doesn't matter at this point. Until Bayern is able to procure one of their targets, to me, they're just being used.
0: Absolutely. And with this being used mentality, I think it's very clear and very obvious that uh, Bayern and Munich are really slipping when it comes to the world talent. And you could chalk that up to a number of things. Uh, including the fact that Nico Kovac is not a really exciting manager to try to go ahead and play for. But even still, with that being said, I don't know who else uh, that players would want to come and play for that wouldn't throw the club entirely into disarray, specifically with Jose Mourinho in mind. But there's this article from Goal.com which basically outlines this idea that because Bayern Munich has not been able to make big signings, they're no longer one of Europe's big clubs. I'm going to agree. I'm on. It's going to be a thing that hurts me to say, but I really agree. Because you look at the transfer market and you look at the rumors that Bayern Munich has been associated with since, let's call it last summer, right? When we... Heard from Yuli Honus that we were going to reload and we were going to go out and buy great players and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on players in the following summer transfer window. Get ready, everybody, because we're going to sign a whole bunch of big people. And so far we've gotten Jan Fite, Arp, Lucas Hernandez, and Benjamin Pavard with, it should be noted... Antoine Griezmann, someone who we had been linked with since last summer, still floating around, still unsure of where he's going to land. He made it clear that he was going to leave Atletico Madrid, and it seemed that it was going to be set in stone that he was going to go to Barcelona. And then all of a sudden, Neymar comes around and says, I want out of PSG. I'm never going to win anything with PSG. Let me go back to Barcelona. I'll take a 50% pay cut to go back to Barcelona and try to win a Champions League again with Messi and Suarez. Antoine Griezmann obviously got rejected by not only just the Barcelona board, but also by Leo Messi, who specifically said that he wanted Neymar over Griezmann. And now we we haven't been taking full advantage of that. We've lost James. We've lost Ribery. We've lost Robin. We've lost Hummels. We've lost Rafinha. We're trying to get rid of Boateng, and we're trying to get rid of Renato Sanchez. And for some reason, we're not linked with good players. For some reason, we're not able to get people to sign on a dotted line. To the point... That Manuel Neuer's agent has come out to the press saying that Neuer is going to consider leaving if Bayern Munich can't sign better players. So I personally think that if we've got one of our best talents agents saying that our transfer policy is a problem, then it's clear that Bayern can't be considered to be among the best in Europe anymore which is really sad for me to think of, but I think that it's the case if we can't get big players to come and sign with this club.
1: Jake, I'm at this point in the transfer window still willing to, to wait a little bit longer and be a little more patient, but I do understand and totally get the frustration that's out there. Uh, When some names like Leroy Sané or Callum Hudson-Odoi, when they get put out there and Bayern appears at times to be close to those players, I get the frustration that people have. I think one of the things that that has really, uh, really come out over the past few weeks is that Bayern at at no point was ever really super close to any of these players. So uh, I think that you know, everyone who is out there and has expressed frustration at this, I, I think it's legitimate, right? I mean, I know the window is young, but there is, you know, a fan frustration that, you know, people want to sign better players. Um, your question about, you know, is Bayern still considered I guess in a sense, considered a destination, that's also legitimate. I, I mean At this point, when you lose the types of talent that Bayern has lost over the the past few weeks, that's hard enough to replace. But when you're being linked with what would be considered second-tier players at times, it's not going to help the unrest in the fan base. All that said, we still have two months to go in this. Uh, For as much as people want to bash hashtag Teemo time, that would appear to be a great signing at this point. Um, Damn, I wish
0: know. I had <laughs> I tried, wish Jake. I had Timo Werner <laughs> signing. Like, honestly, that's another point of contention with me, right? I know that I railed on the concept of a K back transfer and I still am kind of upset with the with that concept of losing out to Matthias Delight by Juventus, right? But I I don't know, right? Like I think K-Back may have been a decent consolation prize. I just don't think... My my whole point was that K-Back would be a good player to bring in for the future, but I don't think that you could equate him to Hummels, and if you brought him in, that you would not be able to get a Hummels-like performance out of him. But I was kind of very slightly upset when K-Back decided to go to Schalke, when Rodri chose Pep Guardiola over us, I was kind of sad, right? But K-Back and Kevin Vogt and Nicholas Stark and Timo Werner and Kai Havertz aren't going to be signed by us this summer. And that's absolutely ridiculous. At least as of right now, there are no indications that any of them are going to sign with Bayern Munich and to me that's absolutely ridiculous this is the best German club out there and we're not able to do the one thing that we've done better than any other team in poaching young German talent it's absolutely insane to me I can't believe that the best attacking talent that we've been able to sign this summer is a New Zealand 20 year old who's going to start with our B team for the next year to me you can't call yourself a phenomenal title-winning dominant side in Europe if this is the only thing that you were positively linked to getting this summer. To me, it's ridiculous. I love this team. I love this club. But if we're not able to get more out of this transfer window than we have right now... I don't know how you could justify seeing Bayern Munich moving on in the Champions League beyond what we got this year. If we could even do that, say we get drawn into an absolutely terrible group, I don't even know if Bayern Munich, the current way it looks right now, could make it into the knockout stages. And that's ridiculous for me to even comprehend. But looking at this transfer window so far, the fact that we've been snubbed twice, the fact that we've been used twice, twice for better contracts. I can't justify calling Bayern Munich one of the best clubs in Europe if this is how the rest of the transfer window is going to pan out. I'm hopeful. I pray to God that the future transfer window is better than what it is right now. But if this course doesn't change, then I'm going to be incredibly disappointed.
1: And I'm still okay with the Schalke signing of Kabak. I, I was never one that thought he was going to come in here and be anything more than a depth player and someone that we would, you know, look to in a time where many of the defenders were, were out injured. I just don't think he was a fit at this particular stage of his career, given the signings Byron has already made. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough. that the, the club is in a very tough situation. It's got a rabid fan base with high expectations when I take a step back and I look at the current roster, the top-end talent, in, in my mind, is still there. I, I think they have excellent talent up front with Lewandowski and, and Moeller. I think they have great wings with Gnabry and Coman. I love their midfield. Uh, their are backline defenders I have some questions about. But still, I think the talent is there. The biggest issue for me is depth. What happens when Coman inevitably goes down? Uh, what happens if uh, Tolisso never really fully makes it back from his knee injury? What happens if there's a, an injury on the back line at center back? I know there's a lot of versatility back there, but the overall lack of depth as an organization right now is kind of concerning. And if anything, I mean, we can look at that Bayern 2 team, and they, they have some intriguing young talents. And I would like to see a couple of them worked into the rotation here, maybe be a part of the game day roster. But I still think there are some veteran either. I think it comes down to this buyer needs to invest in either a couple of veteran backups who still have some high quality or they need to find a genuine star. And at this point, I mean, with the rumors that we've seen, it's tough to pinpoint exactly, you know, who is out there that would still help. You have certain segments of the fan base that if you take a player like Timo Werner who think he could come in and contribute while you have others that are adamantly against it, it's the same type of philosophy when it comes to Kevin vote or Nicholas Stark. These are players who have kind of caused a divide among the fan base. And I think right now with the way everyone is, is starting to approach this, they would take any of those players rather than rejecting them. Like, like we were all kind of doing earlier in the, in the summer. So I think this is a very intriguing point. I think the best piece of advice I can give is for everybody to be a little patient. But if Bayern can't make moves to bolster this roster, there's going to be a fallout. I think there'll be a fallout within the fan base. There'll be a fallout in the front office. And I think that this could go really wrongly for Nico Kovac if he can't take what's there, work with it, and make it a competitive group in the Champions League. And I think when you take one more look at a team like Dortmund, who is your primary competition... They're back in discussions with Mario with Mario Mandzukic. So add one more grain of salt to the wound. A player like Mandzukic could really go in, in my mind, and help Dortmund. I think they've made some tremendous upgrades. And that's your competition right now. Champions League aside, uh, DFB, Pokal aside, Dortmund is now, I think, just about on level with Bayern. So it'll be interesting to see what the front office uh, can, can pull out here and, and who they decide to invest in maybe a, a 30 to 40 million euro investment in Tino, Timo Werner is not such a, a wild thought at this point you're
0: gonna plug that <laughs> you're gonna keep going in on that and honestly honestly I I would take Timo Werner at this point right and you go back to Dortmund and you mentioned Dortmund right you take a team Right, that lost Christian Polisic, even though Polisic was kind of considered quote unquote a depth player after Jaden Sancho came in, right? They just reloaded. They just reloaded. They just got Torgan Hazard and they just got Julian Brandt. They're not gonna lose many more players. And now that they've got Mario Mandzukic, we're talking about a team that took Byron down to the last day. That took Bayern down to needing to go ahead and and fight in order to get that title of theirs, right? And they have Hummels now. And if they sign Manzukic, that's just going to be a kick to the face of Bayern, right? With Bayern also losing robbery and losing Rafinha, you don't have much depth left right now, right? So what, are we going to say that Lars Lukas Mai is going to come up and be that depth player? Or that is that what we're going to go with? that's what we're that's what Bayern Munich is going to have as our best case scenario in calling up Lars Lucas Mai to try to do this which i i i don't know i want to lead this question as well you and i are both fans of Nico Kovac if Nico does not sign any big players this summer or in January saying that we can hold out till January and Dortmund is able to beat us in the Bundesliga. If Dortmund is able to beat us in the Pokal, and if we're not able to do anything in the Champions League, do you think that this could be Nico's last year? Uh,
1: yeah, he he will be the fall guy if things go wrong and the ro- and the roster does not get bolstered. They're going to pin people are going to point the finger at Nico Kovac. Whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Uh, he's going to be the person that takes the fall. And and I don't know that any coach right now would be able to come in and help the situation. Byron is in a very unique place with its roster. It has some awesome established veteran talent. It's got some exciting young players. What it needs is a bridge in between those. And that's where I think the the roster really needs players. Uh, I think that... When you look at Dortmund again, to use them as the example, you know, they went out and got Nico Schultz to, to really help shore up an area that they were concerned about. They got Julian Brandt, who another good young and inexpensive German player who really, I think is going to be phenomenal there. They went out and got Torgan Hazard, who again, another good Bundesliga player who has shown the ability to produce. So it's going to be an interesting race. I mean, sure, there's still RB Leipzig out there, and there are other talented teams, Bayer Leverkusen, for sure, great team. But the way Dortmund has improved itself by adding Hummels and the quality of the other players that they've added, they have taken themselves right to the level of Bayern. And maybe Bayern's top-end talent is better. In fact, I'm sure that it is better. But when it comes down to the grind of the season and players start to go down, you know, will Bayern have enough in the tank to compete with a team like Dortmund. Right now, I'll tell you yes, I'll tell you Bayern is still the favorite, but they are no longer an overwhelming favorite, in my eyes anyway.
0: And don't, let's just not get this twisted, right? Like, I'm a writer for this blog. I write. I do the podcasts for this. I've got Mia San Mia tattooed on my arm. I love this club. I'm just very concerned about its future if we're not able to make it better than the way it is right now. Um, I just want, want this club to stay at the top. I just don't know how we can do that if we set the goal of having this to be our summer where we go ahead and bring in those big players to have it end like nothing would be... An incredible disappointment and I, I I don't know I just I want the best out of this situation and I just don't see how we are able to uh, accomplish that right now uh, do you have any other final thoughts that you want to bring up
1: well I just you know Jake like we, like we said I it, this is now it's a matter of, of timing and Byron is on the clock. So right now, your faith is in that front office to try and get something done, to try and find players that can come in. I don't think any significant portion of the fan base is going to be overly happy at the end of this window. I'm not saying Byron won't get players. I'm not saying they won't bring in quality talent. But with how this has all been built up and the panic that has set in at this point, it would have to be something substantial <laughs> to happen that would really turn everyone around. And it's not even a player like the Schalke goalkeeper, Alexander Neubel, who's been so linked to Bayern, something like that, which might have been exciting, you know, three to four months ago. Now just actually even raises more questions. Like what is the future of Christian Fruchtel? Will Sven Ulreich, will he be gone? So even a move like that, which is expected to happen, it might just cause more stress than anything at this point so we just have to all kind of sit back absorb this and wait and then if we get to the end of this window and it's a complete failure then i think you know we can all take the gasoline out and pour it right on the fire because it's it's going to be ugly
0: it will be absolute carnage and madness and I wish there was something better to say than you saying you got to put your trust in the front office, which is (laughs) terrifying to me right now, but I guess that's all we can really do. Uh, and I guess with that, that'll be the end of this podcast. I apologize for the rant But I think some of you may have enjoyed it and some of you may have agreed with me Uh, and some of you may have absolutely hated it. But if that's the case, feel free to leave a comment underneath the blog post for this or find me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Chuck, where can they
1: find you? You can find me over at The Barrel Blog on Twitter.
0: And for all of your great transfer rumors and content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks and check us out at BavarianFootballWorks.com. So for all of us here at the podcasting division, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you Uh, you get your quality audio content and until next time which hopefully is a podcast where we talk about assigning a new player we will see you later auf Wiedersehen